This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. SD, serving up the latest in the San Diego culinary world with a pinch of history. Welcome to Local <laughs> SD podcast number 28. Um, number 28. Number 28. <laughs> okay. This one's starting off good, guys. <laughs> I'm your host, Kelly Orange. Today on the show, we have Matt Gordon, chef and owner of Urban Solace and Solace in the Moonlight Lounge. Hi. Yeah. And we also have Kat, Dine Look Lusty Cat. Hello. She's with us here today. Um, I can see us up there. Yeah. So check us out on Facebook if you guys are um, listening on the podcast too. Later today, that'll be up. <laughs> um, so Urban Solace opened in the fall of 2007. So you guys are celebrating your 10 year. 10 years. Crazy. Wow. 10 years. <laughs> How does it, it out. feel? Yeah. A good first question. <laughs> yeah. Like, like work? Yeah. <laughs> Same it felt when I went into work nine years ago. Um, no, it's pretty cool to, uh, I guess, reflect back on that amount of time. It doesn't really feel like 10 years. Uh, and before this, I never actually had like a three-year anniversary at any single job. Oh. I got close three times, so I had some pretty decent stays, but to go from... You know, sort of a typical chef career where you move around and experience different things to now being in the same thing for 10 years. is It's a, yeah, it's cool. Cool. Uh, I'm from San Diego and I remember when Urban Solace first opened and I remember my mom and her friend went and they, there were two things. One, they were like, it's in North Park, so it's in a really sketchy part of town. Mm-hmm. That was the first comment. And then the second comment was they were obsessed with your sweet potato fries yeah. because, like, sweet potato fries weren't a thing yet. Yeah. They're like, they have fries, but there was sweet potatoes. <laughs> and she even brought some home for me. Yeah. They were different. They weren't like the orange, uh, yeah. you know, cornstarch-coated crispy things that became pretty ubiquitous. But we were, you know, hand-punching white sweet potatoes. And uh, they were a real challenge. We, You know, yeah. we stopped doing them. Well before I think the first year was over, but still 10 years in, we get people that will be yeah. like, wait, aren't we supposed to have sweet potato fries? Right. We're like, it's been like nine years yeah. since we've done that. <laughs> but yeah, we had like a $250, like the, the most expensive fry cutter you can get. And the sweet potatoes are so hard that we oh. would literally break it like every three weeks. Wow. And it just became, we actually had specialty produce, Patrick, the wonderful uh, oh, non-produce buyer here, specialty produce, work with us. Um, and found someone who would cut them for us and then put them not in some sort of chemical solution yeah. as most processed veggies were or are. And so we did that for a little while. But, yeah, it, it's just – it was a, they were challenging. They yeah. were fic, fickle, finicky, fickle yeah. fries. Right. So speaking of chemicals. <clears throat> chemicals. Yes. I love chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what – so I know that your restaurants are really, are really based on creating products and food that is not – doesn't have any um, crap crap in it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. chemicals like hey crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the catalyst to that too? Um, Second part. Of the well, question. the catalyst was our own our own family at home. Um, yeah, I'm told this story a thousand times, so I feel repetitive, but maybe you haven't heard it. But our daughter, when she was born, who's now 12 and in seventh grade, um, she had a really hard time for the first week or so, and and um, she wasn't getting much food, and 
after, you know, being brand new parents for the first time and finally going to the doctor and them just sticking a bottle of formula in her mouth and seeing her instantly change and, and like stop crying for the first time in 24 hours. And, um, we thought, Oh crap, you know, we, you, you feel that like amateurness of new parents, not realizing she wasn't getting enough food. Um, and it, that was an ongoing thing. So we had to supplement with formula the whole time. And I remember sitting in that hospital room that moment and holding the Similac bottle and reading the label and thinking, what, how can this be what a child needs? And as it was literally like cornstarch, modified wheat, gluten, high fructose corn syrup, it was like 18 different types of sugar and all these things you couldn't pronounce. Um, and so we very quickly like went out and found an organic baby formula that we had to mail order because there was nowhere to buy. We lived in Santa Rosa, California at the time um, that didn't have, you know, corn syrup and other stuff in it that we didn't really want to be giving her. Um, and so as as that first kind of year went on, we really, you know, being in the restaurant industry, we were always pretty focused on the high-end proteins or, you know, cool fish and things like that. Um, organic produce, especially living in the Bay Area, was was easy, easy to get as it is here. Um, but then, like, at home, you look in the door of the fridge and you read the label on that condiment that you put on everything and go, what? It's got stuff in it that doesn't need to be in there. Um, and when we first opened, it was – we didn't – we had the really nice proteins and fish and produce, but we did still have, like, standard – you know, commercial cola sodas on our gun and – sort of classic stuff in the kitchen and uh, things behind the bar. And it, like, it was like a year, and we actually went on our first vacation after working thousands of hours. And we were on our, we were in Vancouver, Washington, driving through a rainstorm with the kids asleep in this car and thought, we were talking about just sort of what direction to go with things. And we thought, wait, you know, we won't allow them to eat this at home. Why are we still thinking that's okay for our guests in the restaurant. So we started this. It took like six or seven months to really rid ourselves of those things. And again, you guys here and Patrick especially was really helpful in us finding <laughs> finding alternatives to things. And the kitchen wasn't that hard. There was really only a few things like our Worcestershire sauce, um, you know, corn syrup we were using in certain <clears throat> dessert recipes and whatnot. So we just created our own sort of sugar syrup with acetic acid that does the same thing in the restaurant. We just label it cornless syrup. <laughs> um, but it, the bar tr- really turned out to be the one that was challenging. You know, Rosie's Lime, Grenadine, all the flavored vodkas, most of the bitters that you buy, you know, things that that normally are back there, we realize we can't have any of those things. Um, and the sodas, of course, too. So that was the bigger challenge, honestly, I think, was the beverage program more than the food. But yeah. uh, it took a few months to really eliminate it all. And then we still have to kind of be wary when we get something in. Sometimes we get a subbed out product and the kitchen doesn't realize they're not supposed to use it. And then we go, oh, crap, can't use this stuff here. Um, And it's also a moving target. You know, commercially, there's not a lot of things that are – there's things that are made retail that don't have high fructose corn syrup in them. But in the wholesale large pack, it does. You know, it's a different recipe for retail versus wholesale. Um, So we have to be – a vigilant of that, and then we get into the whole sort of GMO thing, and yeah. you know what we what we know and don't know, and what's all, you know. We try not to get too political about it. It's not something we really we don't get on a soapbox in front of the restaurant you and just pound, do it. pound it in people's heads. There's a story in the menu that talks about it, and 
Um, it's you know we we like to engage people who are interested in that. But the bottom line is you ha- you got to just enjoy the food. So if you, yeah, your if guests have to want to come back. And doesn't and, eat and again, we've right? seen other people in in the past here be really verbal and vocal about it, and and it be, kind of overtakes the mission of just being a good restaurant. Yeah. And so we have to be first a good restaurant, but we do it in the way that we believe. Right. I like that. <clears throat> also, I would say that, um, you know, you, you guys opening 10 years ago with, with this sort of philosophy and attention to product, um, I would argue that you were some of the the first in, in the city. I mean, there's a group of you, but yeah. one of the first, especially in North Park. Um, to kind of have that focus, how have you seen the the trends, dare I say, farm to table or local or whatever? How have you seen that shift over the past 10 years? Um, I, in, a, in a bunch of different ways, to be honest with you. I think when we opened the restaurant, um, we we were here at the right time. In fact, we moved here because we, we had lived here once, moved away, and, and real, we knew that this was the right time mm-hmm. back then for this type of restaurant. Um, when we had lived here in the early 2000s, there were a couple of really great chefy neighborhood restaurants. Parallel 33 mm-hmm. was one that really sticks out in my head, and Tepanad and La Jolla are the two really meals I remember. And back then, I couldn't afford some of the more luxurious places um, that are still around doing great things. But there was definitely um, a hole in that neighborhood chef-owned yeah. restaurant. And we lived in San Francisco for a big part of the 90s, and every neighborhood had – a chef who had worked at Boulevard or Jardinier right. or Aqua <clears throat> who was venturing out on his own and had a 40-seat restaurant mm-hmm. in the Mission or Glen Park or, Hick- yeah. or, you know, Coal Valley. And so that wasn't happening here, and that's why we thought this would be a good place to do that because it's happened before here, but they were all kind of sure. gone or going. Um, and so I think we we and Jane's opened around the time as us, Cowboy Star a little after us. Um, there was definitely a group of like-minded people all independently Choosing yeah. to do this at the same time, and then there's amazing restaurants that have been here for a long time. George's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Lodge 2001 they opened, and 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 even older places. So yeah. um, I think there was a. I think what we were part of there was a shift where you realized you didn't have to necessarily go to La Jolla or mm-hmm. downtown or to a hotel to have really thoughtful food. Um, we were a lot cheaper back then yeah. than we are now, which is. That's an unfortunate side effect of just the the economy. Sure. Um, but we were always interested in trying to do something different enough, but recognizable enough, and that that's where we I think really pushed some of the early envelope here mm-hmm. on things that you do now see on lots of menus that yeah. at the time we couldn't buy. Sure. We had to mail order and take two weeks to get. And again, Patrick really worked with us on getting quinoa where you could order it the next day. Yeah. And then Farrah, we could order it the next day. Um, these natural colas that are now really featured on a lot of restaurant menus mm-hmm. around the, around San Diego. Um, the one that a lot of people use now, which is called uh, Batchcraft or uh-huh. Craft Batch, I can't remember which. Yeah. You know, we, were, <laughs> we were sort of part of the process of that getting made yeah. um, because we didn't want to use the one we were using anymore and it, and it was hard to get. And there was outages of it. And so now I go in. I went to Burger Lounge last night in Del Sur to pick up food real quick because we had seven hours of baseball and softball games. <laughs> and they have, they have that soda on yeah. the gun. And I thought a little, you know, I'm not concerned about legacy or history or sure. that much. But to know that I think we had a, a small part or a big part or some somewhere in between in 
changing the conversation a little bit on some of these um, items that have become more common around our scene. I remember when you guys switched the soda. And I I don't know if it was on Facebook or where I saw it, but I feel like there was a little bit of like a uproar, a lot of talk about it. Mm -hmm. Did I make that up or was that? Well, I mean, there's (laughs) certainly people who didn't enjoy it at first. But we also, the Union Tribune uh, Mm. published... And it was kind of snarky. I yeah, read it. Like I read something. it a week. I read it a week or two ago. It showed up like in the Facebook memories yeah. thing. Oh, there was an. They published an article. I think we had a PR firm at the time, and you know they put a little thing out saying that we'd, you know, gotten rid of this, ingredient, you know, that we were focusing on the natural. And the uh, the Union Tribune's like tagline was like, "quote pesky ingredient kicked off the menu." And and all throughout it, there was like, was yeah. that was that. Meant to sound insulting, or yeah. was it just the way it was written? Um, but a couple weeks later, we got like a cease and desist letter from the American Corn Refiners Association, Audra Ooh. Erickson at the Corn Refiners Audra. Association. And there's a great movie called King Corn documentary, and if you watch it, she's in that movie. Oh. And I saw it later on. I was like, oh my god, that's her. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, you know, that we're spreading false information about the health benefits of high fructose mm-hmm. corn syrup. And I replied back and posted it, you know, on Facebook yeah. and stuff. Yeah, but we we, made, we made zero claims thing. about the. You know, the health side of it. The fact right. of the matter is if you take the classic American diet now and you have it be taken back in time 30 years yeah. and you're still eating that same sort of dish, you're consuming significantly more sugar now. Sure. Yeah. Eating an identical, you know, Plate, meal whatever, because yeah. of what – how much corn syrup is in things and that was really part of it yeah. for us. It wasn't that it's worse for you than right. sugar or not. So. Sure. Yeah, we just we wrote her back and said we we made no health claims. Yeah. We just don't believe in using it, and that's our choice. And you can leave us alone. And we yeah. never heard back again. So there you go. Yeah, it was fun. That was fun. A little proud moment. <laughs> yeah. A little rebel moment. Um. So, how did you get into the restaurant industry? Totally by accident. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I started working really young. Like when I was 13, I worked in a family friend's like auto machine garage, like tearing apart car engines. Um, I I worked early. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah. yeah. Had a Budweiser after work. And <laughs> Playboy Center folds up on the wall. It was great. I made two twenty five an hour. Um, but when I was, I think my freshman year of high school, I, I'm kind of a late birthday in the school year. So uh, I was 14 for my whole freshman year. And I got a job at El Pollo Loco. In in Arizona, it was called El Pollo Asado, but I think it was the same same company because <laughs> it all looked exactly identical. Um, I lied about my age and got a job washing dishes there, and then did moved up to prep cook, and then moved up to like the burrito bar guy, and then I, <laughs> I got to be the chicken chopper, which was like the pinnacle of the uh, yeah. jobs. And then I moved to the front of the house and worked my way up to drive through, which I was there for like two years, you know, making what three seventy five an hour, yeah. whatever minimum wage was back then. Um, and I definitely enjoyed, like, the environment. Um, and ironically, I went from there to the Camelback Inn, which is now, like, a JW Marriott. Mm-hmm. Even back then, it was a five-star, five-diamond mobile property, which there was only two in the whole state, I think, back then. And I got a job first as a busboy um, and then moved into the kitchen as an expediter, which is still my favorite thing to do in the restaurant. So I was a, <laughs> a junior in high school, and, you know, we're, we had – wore tuxedos to work and we would be it was me and my then best friend and we would assemble all the orders you know 
the, the cooks had their own tickets, so we weren't like calling the orders like I do now necessarily, but we were still assembling all the orders and garnishing them and stacking up the trays. And then, you know, it was a big central kitchen with like three different restaurants operating out of it. And, you know, this was the 80s, so lots of lots yeah. of 80s stuff went on in that kitchen. <laughs> and, uh, not for me, but for those around us. And it was just like stuff. it was fun to be in that environment. Um, and I just, I, you know, I always had aspirations to do other things. You know, I, I, I went to college with the intention of doing something. I didn't really know what, but I decided along the way a couple different things. Um, and then, again, I've told this story a lot. I, I also have always played music and about – Four years into trying to do the college thing, I had worked my way up to sous chef job in a restaurant um, purely because I was just kind of good at working in kitchens. It, there wasn't any intention behind it on my part. Um, but a, a band formed out of that restaurant and we started – we thought we were probably way better than we really are. But we started playing a lot of shows and, and getting great response and then everybody in that band finished college except me um, at, all in the same year and – it was either move away or break up, and we decided to give it a shot, and that's how I ended up in San Francisco, actually. Mm-hmm. So, and there was a lot of stuff in between. I've, uh, my Alaska stories can go on for this Ooh. entire podcast, <laughs> but I spent five different seasons working, you know, 120 hours a week for salmon and crab oh. and cod and herring oh, very cool. over a three-year period, wow. too. But that's a, that's a whole nother. That's, yeah. a, that's a book. So many interesting <laughs> tidbits <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, would you say you liked you just you just got into the restaurant business through the? Yeah, I, w- I was really just cooking of- for a paycheck, and um, that first sous chef job. I think I was twenty one when I got promoted. I had just working part time at this restaurant, and I was working at a, at really the my first sort of fine dining restaurant, full time. And then this new place opened, or had recently opened, and I had a lot of friends that worked there, and and I went over, um, and and took a part-time job there and it was a big, it was like a 250 seat restaurant and we do, you know, 400 covers on weekend nights or more. Um, it was like a six or seven man line and they would expo from the inside, call the tickets all from a central printer, but it was just this really cool line, open kitchen. And it's really, this is a really true story, but like I had never butchered a steak before. And at this fine dining restaurant that I was working at, the chef, this crazy guy named Kurt Jacobson, Again, this was not the 80s anymore, but all the 80s things were still happening. So, uh, yeah. Um, Like one day he showed me how to butcher in New York. And I swear to God, like four days later, I was at the other restaurant for a night shift and they ran out of steaks. And the sous chef was like, does anybody know how to butcher a steak? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So I went and did it. And then like a week later, Kurt showed me how to make a soup. It was like a cheddar broccoli soup. And that weekend at the other restaurant, they're like, we're out of soup. Can everybody yeah. make a soup? <laughs> I was like, I can make a soup. Yeah. So like two restaurants had the identical cheddar broccoli soups. <laughs> and then um, their salmon showed up unfiladed one day. They always got fillets of salmon. And that was the one area where I had some actual expertise. <laughs> and so I whacked all the salmon down for them. Um, and one night the sous chef called me over. He's like, why don't you take the tickets for a little while? So I... That was the first time I ever had run a wheel, as we call it, in the, in the restaurant industry. And he thought I would probably last 20 minutes and crash and burn, and I stayed on the wheel the whole night. And it was just super fun, and uh, I ended up getting a sous chef job out of that. Yeah, so maybe I don't, under, I don't necessarily understand mm. what that position well, 
So all kinds of restaurants run, run differently. Um, but the way that one ran, the way I run my restaurants, is I have one, one ticket printer. And all of the orders are called verbally out to the cooks. So the cooks don't have tickets in front of them. So we'll get, you know, on a busy night, we'll have, uh, you know, I have a four-foot ticket rail, that plus another one full of tickets, all the food's firing. And we're just – it's funny. I've, saw, I've seen some posts, um, you know, over the years where people are saying – talking about different restaurants and someone there was one there was actually multiple but there was one that was like yeah it was urban solace and i was sitting kind of near the kitchen and i just the chef was just screaming at people i can't <laughs> believe he was such an asshole and we like i think another local chef came to my defense like no 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 that's not they don't run the kitchen like that but it's like combat we're just calling out the orders and they're calling them back and we're reminding them and so you're orchestrating this whole process of getting the food coordinated and sold and we only we only fit five plates in our window, so you have to sell, you know, the orders in the you can't just like plate eight steaks for five different tables because there's nowhere to put them and they'll get cold. So it's like a you're really coordinating a pretty specifically large ballet of things, or, you know, happening at one time. And they have to happen in a certain order. Yeah, I always tell the servers I call it like the little cone of cone of information. Like every <laughs> single thing that's food related that a server needs comes to one specific point in the kitchen. And then that one person who is the chef on duty, whether that's me or one of the sous chefs, then disseminates that information to the people who need to know it. So we're telling the salad guy what he needs to know, the grill guy, pantry, whatever. And then that all that is coming back as feedback in the form of plates of food to that one person again, and they're disseminating it back out into the dining room. So we, we try to train people to understand the importance of accuracy or the etiquette on how you come into the kitchen when you forget something or you need something and you have to wait for that very perfect moment to find a pause in conversation to ask your question because one distraction and it's like all the tickets fell. Yeah. And then you have to yeah. really start over. It's like you just have to put them all back up and start at the beginning and say, wait, you have four. No, you have six salmons, two fired, four on deck. Um, so we, we it's fun to do. We do it hard. Yeah. I had a, a pretty well-known San Diego chef that I've known for a long time not long after we opened Encinitas, stopped by on a busy night, and I was on the wheel, and he just stood there in awe. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you guys do this like this. Because most restaurants at a certain volume, you put tickets, put printers on the line, and then you're sort of coordinating. Like, I worked at Cheesecake Factory years ago, and every station is kind of like its own restaurant. And they just fire their own food whenever it comes in, and it sits up there, and then the expediter just goes and shops for it when it's time to sell the next table. But we don't do it like that. We really... It's like made to order to sell right. at the moment it's meant to sell. That's yeah, what so, that's what call, so it that's what comes out and it go right it comes out right. All of the plates for that table come out yeah. at the same time. Yeah, I mean we can do two or three if it's you know they're not right. big tables. We can sell two three salmons for three different tickets mm-hmm. as long as everything else is also ready right now and we can sell it and it's not going to sit there right. for four three minutes or four minutes or anything like that. Yeah, that's a very small amount of time that yeah. window you have to work in. Yeah. 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 Got to be all coordinated really well. I have definitely spent, you know, there's been times where I thought, man, we really fucking make this hard on ourselves. Can I say that on here? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've heard people cuss before on this network. Um, We definitely make it hard on ourselves sometimes. And when I get newer people in in, as sous chefs or as cooks, there's a real, still a real natural desire on a lot of sous chefs, especially when they've come from being cooks, to want to be on the line. But you Mm -hmm. can't run a wheel successfully like this while on the line. We do it from the outside of the line. Right. And we can see you've got seven steaks working. 
you're, if you're on the line and you've got your back to everybody that's cooking and you're buried too, you're not going to see that there didn't fire that st- seventh right. steak or that when the oven opens, there's not 19 biscuits in it. There's only four. So we're outside the line calling this all to them and really using our eyes to watch and validate everything that, you know, if, if we call something, we're watching to make sure we see that hand reach for it and at least put it up on the cutting board, if not onto the grill or saute pan, just right. so we can see it all happen. There's a lot of feedback you have to be taking in to understand that that's happening. You know, like you yeah. call the ticket, but then you have to make sure that yeah, they, that information is coming back yeah. at you. And yeah, and, they have to call it back. And we train. We especially when we first opened Urban, we would we would practice. We'd all yell. Yeah, you know, like we'd fire this, and everyone would yell it back. And if they didn't, we'd do it again, yell it again. And it was you know, I had a lot yeah. more energy back then. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. But every new employee, that's a, that's a little thing that we we've gone through it uh, just the last two weeks with with people in both restaurants. We're like, nope, try it again. You know, <laughs> yeah. Midwell Burger, Midwell Burger. That's right. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. Okay, you said this was that's your favorite it spot too. Yeah, it is my favorite spot. Um, but uh, I think every restaurant I have worked at has printers on the line. In addition to an outside expo, so not I, us. Yeah, I know. I'm like, damn. <laughs> um, but Bobo, when, when I was at Bobo Long Beach, it was just one massive line where, like, I couldn't hear the pantry person because they were so far away. Mm. Uh, and so, and we also had seating at the expo line. Yeah. So the same thing. We'd be like, hey, ah, 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 like just yeah. barking as loud as you can and people are like trying to enjoy their yeah. dinner like what the hell is wrong with you yeah. and my first sous chef job we it was an open kitchen and it was fairly long line i mean not so long but we it was i didn't like quiet down yeah yeah and no, whenever they can't. had a larger party they would always seat them right in front of the kitchen because it was their theory that they would end up not staying for oh, three hours sure. yeah they'd get tired of <laughs> hearing me yeah. uh, barking at people but yeah, yeah i prefer closed kitchens because mm. of because of that process and sure because that's how we we run the kitchens most efficiently and we can do more with less people yeah. the, by the way we do it um then encinitas i have a station that's not even in the kitchen and so we were um, like little walkie talkies nice. and, and so we're coordinating courses with the with the oyster bar upstairs oh, cool and then all the managers have them so we check on you know north park is you can see every table from sure. basically one spot but in north park and encinitas when we have a second course ticket that we're getting close to completing, we have the radio. We can just ask the manager, hey, check 404. Are they ready for the next course? Cool. And they radio right back. And it, it's really fun it's to efficient. like. It's a cobbled together system, but it is efficient. Yeah. And we don't we, – we time the tickets for the servers. They don't fire right. their own second yeah. courses. So that, that adds another layer of complication yeah. to it. It's <laughs> kind of like the power. All the power yeah. in the restaurant. <laughs> it's like the exciting spot to it be is. in. It yeah. is. Yeah, there's a lot of energy going through that spot. Yeah, so let's talk about Encinitas. You guys opened in 2011? 2011, yeah, six years this past wow. summer. Time flies when I you're know. Home. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so what what went into that, that decision? <laughs> it's going to be a, it's a loaded mm. question. But <laughs> hey, there it is. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys should be able to see it on the screen right now. One of our managers just bought a drone, if you could Fun. figure that out. <laughs> um, we were approached by... A broker that that was working for the developer. So that that um, property, when we signed a lease, was two old like aluminum sheds. And one was a big giant aluminum shed that I think had at one point been like a newspaper printing facility, and it huh. was just empty. And then the where our building is now, there was a shed, and there was a shop in there called. 
grounded or the grounds, which has moved down to the lumber yard. But at one point it was like Red Sand Volleyball's headquarter like building and there was volleyball courts in back. I think it was a skate shop at one point. But the shed itself was a train depot storage shed from like the 1920s. Wow. Yeah, it does have a really interesting look. Yeah. Um, and they mimic, they wanted to sort of mimic that um, building, but they did, they tore everything down, shipped it to Mexico to build a, some sh- churches out of, I guess. And then uh, we signed a lease, I think in 2009, early 2009, um, for that property. And it ended up just taking a really long time, partly their fault, partly my fault. Um, but we didn't open until August 2011. Um, and we thought, that it was the right demographic um, because by that point, North Park was definitely sort of moving into the, you know, conscientious yoga. They still like to drink and have fun and party and eat good food, but also care a little bit about what it is they're having. Mm-hmm. Um, and we felt a similar pattern with that maybe a little more money, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, Little, but to go back to one of your earlier questions, you know, w- what have we seen change over yeah. the years with that? Um, I generally like to stay pretty positive about these things. But what we have seen is a decline in people's – I think they, I think there was a lot of new knowledge for people mm. as this all ramped up, the farm-to-table movement, which I'm, I've never really been a fan of that phrase because right. it's not – it's really not true most of the time. But um, there was a there was like a, a knowledge drop on mm-hmm. the population, and people got into that. And then, as that sort of became passe, or or they understood it now, and they made their own personal uh, agreements with themselves on what they would accept and not accept. In the last couple of years, people don't seem to care again as much, really, where that burger came from. And you know, being um, in North County in a couple locations for a while, you know, I'd see people willing to spend a lot of money at Whole yeah. Foods grocery store, but then go out to eat somewhere that had pretty baseline <clears throat> sure. commodity foods. Um, I live up there now and I'm not, I'm not bagging on anybody. I don't know if it's an economic decision or, or what, but I do feel like that it's kind of worn off a little mm-hmm. bit. And now it's, it's not so important as it may have been a few years ago. That's how I feel like yeah. I feel like it's not as important to other people as it was. Mm-hmm. We really thought it had started to really take hold. Yeah. And now it's it's more just about brand name than Yeah. You know. I and I don't mean brand name of ingredients necessarily, but it's just it's more about the coolness of the place yeah. or the yeah. newness of the place or sure. or the uniqueness of it and not about maybe really understanding where the product comes from. Yeah. So, I I, don't know. I, agree, I agree with that, and I think that there's um, uh, there's a lot of hip places all of a sudden. There is, like, I won't name any names, but uh, I I went out to dinner to a very hip place, and I walked in, and I was like, I'm not actually cool enough to be here. <laughs> like, I really don't feel cool enough to sit down and eat dinner here. And it reminded me of um, when Seersucker first opened downtown. And the idea, or or I had heard this from someone, I don't know if this was their intention, but the idea was to kind of hybrid uh, the atmosphere of a nightclub or like the coolness and the like chillness and the youngness of a nightclub with a really nice dining experience. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I kind of feel like there are a lot of restaurants around town that I frequent. I'm just not, I just don't fit in, but that have kind of. Um, the focus and, and the buzz about these new restaurants is more about the scene that yeah. they're providing 
rather than sure. the, the ingredients. And I think that's part of the cycle. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably happened before. It'll probably happen again. Um, but I, I'll agree with that in yeah. a sense there. It's a little more driven by a little more group mentality of mm-hmm. where we're supposed to go. And I, I heck, I want to go to those places yeah. too. I just don't have time. <laughs> right, right. Money. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, it's an ever-changing target Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I don't think it's so much that you don't fit in. I think it's it's more that you that stuff doesn't matter as much to you. Uh, you know, yeah. like even though you feel like you don't fit in, yeah. but it's it's that you don't go to those places to be seen. Right. You go to those places to enjoy the food. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I mean I as did, long as they can deliver on that. Yeah. That, that's hundred percent what matters. I right. did, full disclosure, trip and fall on my ass <laughs> in the middle of their pre shift while oh, entering oh, that oh. specific restaurant, but I digress. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I was, love that story. I wasn't even in, in heels. It just it just happened. Kicked I think you need to nails. tell the whole story. Oh now. my god! Sorry. Okay. So you brought it up. I did. It's so <laughs> embarrassing and so great. I really wanted to see Born and Raised on like during the first week. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna get there right when they open. I'm not even gonna eat yet. I just want to see it. I just want to see inside. So it was like maybe their second day that they were open, <clears throat> and I get there right at four o'clock, and I. The, like one of the chefs, Travis, like saw me walking in. He was outside and he's like, oh, here. And he opened the door for me and then kept walking somewhere else. And I he opened the door and I was like, whoa, this is like a stunning restaurant. And also because I'm a part of the orange department now, I had my phone yeah. on Insta story. <laughs> so I'm like focusing on getting the walking in video shot and amazed and don't notice the like construction worker at my feet so then i proceed to kick his like power drill trip over a box of nails which goes spraying and then fall on my ass while yelling fuck 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 in front of their pre-shift that's meeting. awesome that's great so good that's good stuff I'm like, hey guys welcome all right get right yeah. in <laughs> yeah. i'm looking forward to eating there i think oh, it was amazing if anybody can pull off that restaurant it's them for uh, sure 100%. and jason's an amazing chef oh my so, gosh the whole team yeah. there and the whole yeah, I was blown away, truly. Yeah, well, I, that's what I love too about their type of restaurants. Yeah, Jason is so down to earth and so oh, friendly, so you know, and like, and the restaurants are they are so like just amazing inside, yeah. you know. But yeah. it's like they kind of lend to those people who like to be um, in a, in a place where they want to be seen, you know. Yeah. Which nothing wrong with that. No, um, but it's just it's just such a. a a, a different, dichotomy. Yeah. yeah. But they back it up with, yeah. with good stuff. Yeah. So totally. 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, I have a, a fun Matt Gordon story. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think yeah. I've told you this before, but it's been years. Um, when I first got back into San Diego from culinary school, I was looking for a job. I had been uh, turned down by the USD food court for being underqualified. Um, <laughs> true story. And so I applied. I remember the interview. For Urban Solace. Yeah. And it was like the most intense interview of my life really? till this day. <laughs> yeah. And you asked me who my favorite author was. I said Orwell, and then we got in a conversation about uh, Orwell and Steinbeck and Rand. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then you were like, "I don't think you're ready to work in this kitchen." And I was like, really? "Please, chef." Yeah. Because you were like, "French Laundry, they have nice equipment." And I was like, "Yeah." Yeah, I think I think I thought we'd probably be a disappointment to you. Yeah, you were anything. like, "You know, what are you gonna do if the stove breaks?" I'm like try and fix that (laughs) um but i always love that story but i i remember like because i couldn't find a job it was in 2009 and i had applied so many places and so many places were turning me down and i remember my mom was like oh my god urban solace is hiring 
I'm like, no way, sweet potatoes, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, so it was also one of the uh, first interviews in that bank of interviews that I did that I was actually really nervous about. Oh, like really? all the others, I would show up and be like, hey, like uh. I do that to people. Yeah, and I was I, I was like shaking. Like I remember really? like uh. so funny. Yeah, because I knew you were the shit even then. Like, yeah, and I then you scared uh... the hell out of me, and I was like, "Never mind." And I went running out here. Yeah, <laughs> that's so not me, though. I know. Well, now I'm like, I remember. Then years later, when I met you for the first time since then, when we judged that food truck competition, oh, yeah. and I yeah. remember being like, "Hey, cool." Well, you You're got not... a great job out of the deal, so maybe I did, it was right? the right thing. It all you know? Out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. I remember you came from WD forty and French yeah. Laundry, and it's like, man, this is like the junkyard kitchen. Like yeah, that's, that's the term year old stuff. Like, this and is it's, a junkyard I mean, it's kitchen. Still, we're still cobbling things together. Yeah. I have like a Hobart and five pieces in the kitchen nice. right now, and yeah, back up good. one on a little roller right. cart that comes in and out. <laughs> well, then I went to Bobo, who uh, they currently still have the kitchen equipment from the bungalow yeah. from the twenties. I'm like, oh, this is this is what he meant. This yeah, is what I needed to do. Yeah. I like working in Encinitas after spending a lot of time in North Park because that was all just brand new stuff in nice. 2011, and it still feels that way. And then, Aww. but North Park is like my baby, right? But then it's also like, oh man, Aww. I really wish I could just tear everything out of here. Yeah, put a new floor and a new kitchen and new ceiling, but new everything. Yeah, one yeah. day that building's a hundred years old. So, Holy crap! Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> and better than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, was, I think you posted, because of the 10-year anniversary, you posted a picture of what it was yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw North that. North Park Deli and Coffee. Scroll down. It's probably there somewhere, not too far. Yeah, you guys hey, should be able to kid. see this on the, um, <laughs> the screen. I think it was pretty recent. I don't know. Yeah, how. it was more recent than those. Scroll up, scroll up. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Oh, these are not in order. Which... Oh, is it on yours or on Urban Solace? I think it's on mine. Hmm. It, yeah, weird. Yeah, maybe it would be. Yeah, on it was. Uh, it was a place called North Park Deli and Coffee, and that was just. Even though the building's hundred years old, it was just a stucco box with plate glass windows, and like you know, one of them was broken, and there was a big hole in the wall up high, and yeah, um, and the whole like we didn't intend for it to look like it does now. We we met with the landlord a number of times. Oh, there, it's the. Uh, Nope. Next. About five, five over. Fifth, over. Yeah, fifth one over. Yep, that's yeah. the one. Oh. That's the one. Um, we met with the landlord who was really, really cantankerous, dude. Um, and, you know, we said, we're, we don't, we're not asking for TI money. You know, we just need you to put some love into the exterior, you know, patched up, painted up. And he came back with this drawing of the building as it looks now. I mean, it was just like, holy crap. <laughs> okay. But that was in February or March of 2006. So we, both of the restaurants were like serious waiting games because, mm, yeah. you know, he came up with the idea to make it look like New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, like you can see one one picture down there. Yeah, there you go. That was, um, But it took like six, seven months to get through permits. And then he didn't break ground on the exterior remodel to like February of 2007. So we were almost a year in at that point when oh. we started the remodel. Yeah, it does. And I did. I wasn't. I was not employed either. I was. Oh. I was working part time um, for the catering company that I had worked at when I lived here previously, and my wife was working full time. But we had another baby on the way. And oh. It was like there was like Stressful. two years without a salary there. Impressive. Oh wow, that's old. I gotta <laughs> change that. <laughs> I forgot we even had that one. Weird. 
<laughs> I don't even know how to time get flies, it. Right? I don't even know how to get into that one. <laughs> hey, there's a good one. Yeah, it does have a. I mean, the facade of <clears throat> of Urban Solace is in North Park. It's just it's yeah. such a different. It's just a memorable when yeah. you when you walk up. Like you're iconic. like, wow, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't feel like I'm in North Park. Right. Now, right. People, people still after ten years will like peek in and like, what is this place? Is this yeah. a spa? <laughs> a coffee shop? Like, Because you can't really tell from the right. name. Mm-hmm. And you can't see into the building from the windows because right. they're all stained glass. But Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yay. Hi, Sherry Ann. Yeah, Olive Wood. <laughs> okay, we, we got questions up here or just hit, saying just hi? Oh, people friends. showing us some love. Feel free to ask me friends. a question if you'd like to. Yeah, I mean, I have questions. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I mean, in ten years, you've done, you've you've opened a couple restaurants. Yeah, I've actually through. I had a lot of fun. Um, once we kind of got Urban Solace on its feet, I think it was before Solace in the Moonlight Lounge. Well, about a year in, we were approached by the bar next door to us to make some food for them. Oh, so yeah. we've been doing that the whole time, which is crazy. Especially yeah, how do you do that? You, we have two lines. Well, we met them before we ever opened. Um, before we ever really had built out the restaurant um they were looking at that space next door and we thought maybe we could sell you know like a burger and fries off of our line but by the time they opened we were so busy Mm. um but there was one little quadrant at the back of our building that technically is there was on their lease because that was all owned by the same person that building is owned by the same family both buildings and so we converted that room into a second line and and it's a separate crew and separate line that cooks all that food um, and then not long after that, uh, they did West Coast Tavern and I, oh, I yeah. wrote that opening menu and we actually managed that <laughs> kitchen for the first year that they were open there. Yeah, so I, I had yeah. their, their, they paid all the cooks, but I paid the management of that kitchen and it was sort of like a one year deal and that was a lot of fun. Um, and that was before the observatory opened. Oh yeah. Yeah. A couple before. years before. Yeah. It was with Eli. Eli was there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then a few of my my sous chefs went on to run that kitchen, yeah. and then the last one just left. Abe that hey, was there. Yeah, you know, he tell. worked for me from the opening of Urban Solace until three, four years ago, and then he ended up doing a couple things and then being there for a while. Um, I have a lot of people out there yeah. in the world. Yeah, That's the only downside <laughs> is you start to see, like, that cinnamon roll sure looks familiar. Right? <laughs> I know. I, I, uh, Those s'mores. I saw a yeah. cinnamon roll that looked familiar. Yeah. You know, my wife gets on me about those. I'm like, what, what, what yeah, am I like, supposed what are you to do? do? You know? Yeah, for sure. I learned, oh, I didn't learn cinnamon roll from anybody. But I certainly, you know, there's a chef I worked for <clears> um, <throat> when I was like 25 and <clears throat> 6 who, it was the first I mean, I worked for some cool people before, but this guy I really connected with, and and just I list, like just watching him work in the kitchen. I was just like, man, this is that. That's really where I think I tur- turned the corner from this being a paycheck to like, I could do this. This yeah. is fun, you know. I watched this. Everything I came up with, he just had one little, oh, just do that, and it yeah. was like, oh man. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, and I worked for him at two different places in San Francisco over a three or four year period. And then after I had moved here and lived here for a couple of years, he had begun opening restaurants up in Sonoma County. And he'd called a couple, three times over a year and a half period. And finally, after third or fourth call, and, and my wife and I were both kind of ready to not be here, we moved back up there and I went to work for him. 
And his very first restaurant up there is called Willie's Wine Bar. Such a cool place. It burned down last night. Oh, last night. Yeah, oh, Santa Rosa fires. is on fire right now. And one of my one of my good friends texted me a picture at about five this morning of Willie's Wine Bar in flames, mm. along with a whole lot of other things have gone up in yeah. smoke. Um, but for people that don't know who Mark Stark is, he is one of the best chefs in the Bay Area. He's got four or five amazing restaurants up there. And I certainly owe a lot of my own sort of culinary language to the years I spent working for him because he was the first guy that really like I thought I could do I could do this, but he's always got just that little bit more yeah. than I can. And so I really that was my goal over my career after I moved on from him was was to be that person where I could just take people's ideas that they were bringing to me and say, yeah, it's almost there, but here we got this yeah. this one thing that will make it unique. And he nice. was such a Amazing chef at that. Yeah. So that's a cool. That's a pretty cool goal to have. Is yeah. To see somebody else and go, I have this ability, but I don't have exactly what they right. have. But to be yeah. want to be that for somebody yeah. else yeah. too, you know, is pretty cool. Yeah, we lost touch for a lot of years, and it, like, but the first restaurant that I'd been executive chef at a couple places, but the first restaurant where I really had the whole carte blanche on the menu, I had done like two or three menu changes to get to the whole menu being done. And I remember like I was probably 28 years old at that time, but I remember just, I I was a cigarette smoker back then. I remember going outside at the end of service <laughs> for a smoke and it was almost like, like I wish you could see me now. It was yeah. almost like a, fa- a father <laughs> yeah. figure type of thing. Like, man, he'd be so proud of this. Like yeah. I, w- I was proud of it and I thought he'd be proud of it too. So it was, it was cool. And we stay in touch still. That's so really yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> He's a good guy. Um, so the 10-year reunion stuff you have going on. Yeah, well, we're three weeks into it already, so mm-hmm. it's almost done. But basically, we we doing the sort of like weekly menu additions that are just some of the old favorites that haven't been on the menu either for a long time. Some things you know, not that long ago. Uh, and every week we have been doing like basically an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert from some of the original dishes. And it's been kind of fun to see them back in the restaurant. A couple have already landed back on the menu because everyone just liked them so much. Yeah, that one was That one's not, yeah, we put the beef cheeks back on. They've been gone for like a a little over a year. And we've been on the menu for so damn long, but people ask about them all the time. Yeah, That's a, you know, it's, I think an, an interesting challenge that I never experienced at other restaurants where you have something that you, that, you're tired of. Right, right. And it doesn't seem that all that original anymore. Again, like beef cheeks, I, you didn't see those on a single damn menu no. in San Diego. No. And then you can go get them in a lot of places now. And so part of us wanting to change those a while back was like, it's just not that unique anymore. Yeah. But then to see them back on a couple weeks ago, it's just like, I miss this dish and everybody oh. else misses this dish. And it's hard in a restaurant because you want to stay current. Yeah, I remember right. when we first started doing menu changes a couple, three years in, taking some of the more stable dishes off, that people would just be like, I'm not coming back till that's back right. on. And you get sort of stuck in this place where you want to innovate, but you also don't want to piss off. You don't want to alienate. So there's yeah. like a weird middle ground between alienation and innovation. It's kind of like when you go to see your favorite band and, and you want the them hits. to play all like your favorite, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, the B-sides. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden they're just playing like the radio hits. You're like. <laughs> or the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Or, they, or the or other they're way. They're just only playing their new album. Yes. Oh, You're like I want worst. a little bit of uh, yeah. familiarity. Exactly. You know, like I want to have that feeling come yeah. back. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, as a a restaurant customer, right, right. You know, yeah. like you, I go places because I a lot of specific times because dishes. I want that specific dish. Yeah. I'm like, I want this. I'm really food. like, I feel inclined to want to blow it up and just 
reemerge again, but yeah. <laughs> I've never pulled the trigger on that. And one time we kind of did a bigger, a bigger slate wiping, yeah. and then you know it didn't last that long. Yeah. Right, right. People said, "Where's the, you where's know. this, yeah. where's that?" The duckaroni. Yeah, the duckaroni. <laughs> that was like our very first New Year's. We did a pre-fee, and we had like eighty duck legs left over afterwards. Oh, and I was like, "Fuck it, mac and cheese." <laughs> and it just it became this like cult favorite. It did, like, yeah. it just never left the menu. It was literally like one of those just do something with it to get rid of it. Yeah. Make a mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah, that was one of this past week's on the new on the menu things, right? Um, decaroni. Or is it? No, is we put the actually... original Mac back on for a little bit. It's, it's, oh, the decaroni is actually on the, the Yeah, decaroni's been on the menu. The on the menu, yeah. It was an entree, it's now a side, but it's still the same yeah. size portion. <laughs> just moved it. <laughs> Um, so what would you say has been the the three most popular dishes mm. that you guys have had? Well, I mean, the cinnamon rolls have gotten a lot of tension over the years. I think the beef cheeks are something that has been, you know, I, I, again, I think yeah. when we first had them on the menu, it wasn't, I don't think very many people were familiar with them. In fact, I remember Troy Johnson, it was like the first time I think I met him, he was just starting to be a food writer mm-hmm. and he was writing for like Riviera or 944 or something and he came in for review and he had the beef cheeks and I'm totally picking on you now, Troy, which, <laughs> you know, I like to do sometimes. He loves but it. He, he was, he mentioned that like they were gelatinous and off-putting to him and I'm like, that's that's what beef cheeks are, man. You know, <laughs> it was one of the, one of those things. Where like he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, that's what they're supposed to be. But um, I think there was just the people weren't hadn't really seen those here much, and so it really. I have pictures in my photo albums of people like licking the you know empty <laughs> yeah. beef cheeks plate. It really was something I think that was talked about a lot back yeah. in the beginning, and it's it's always stayed on as people's favorites. And um. I don't know. What about the chicken and dumplings? Yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, again, just like it's a boring old dish, but man, it is it's just good. delicious. And it's so good. It's just like your, your friend that's back in the corner, you know, it's yeah, always there. It's always there. What about that watermelon salad? Yeah, oh, it comes yeah. back every year. Yeah. I miss it this year. Oh. See, you see those around town <laughs> quite a bit now? Um, I had to get my tonsils out a few oh, years ago. Geez. Yeah, I know. And uh, so I was like drinking chocolate milk for good two weeks and then it was like the first like I was like okay I'm getting hungry <laughs> like I needed food and I was staying at my mom's during the recovery she's like what do you want I was like can you go to Urban Solace and get me chicken and yeah. dumplings and she did I was good yeah. stuff oh it was so good I was there on Saturday night I was the manager front of the house manager and I, I didn't end up doing it but I kept running orders of them to tables I'm like I'm totally having this yeah. tonight and I forgot about it later on but it's, I haven't had it in a long time I mean we so taste delicious. every single one that goes out because they're made to order. It's not, oh wow, you know, it's not a like pot of yeah. There's some, it's not a pot of pot of Bubbling. all set stuff wow. that you. Yeah. Every dumpling is braised to order, and then the gravy is kind of like there's a gravy base that we make, but it's assembled. Yeah. You know, all the veggies and all the seasoning is is all a minute, as we say. And uh, that's so cool. So I we didn't literally know that. taste every single one that comes to the window. Those those dumplings are like. My kind of dumpling. Crisco, baby. Hard. <laughs> My kind of dumpling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We tried them with butter. It doesn't work as well. No? So those have lard in them. Nice. I like them even more now. Yeah. <laughs> it's really comforting. They're kind of good in the deep fryer, too. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that our biscuits are good in the deep fryer also. Ooh. They turn into like little cheesy beignets. Oh. Quite interesting. <laughs> Call them biscuit donuts. 
Yeah. What isn't good in the deep fried? Right. <laughs> okay, so you have uh, the 10th anniversary goes on till October 16th. <clears throat> yeah, um, this tomorrow starts the last round menu. Last We're doing our one of one of my favorite dishes that actually originated with the Encinitas menu six years ago, but then it was on Urban's for a long time, which is a mustard crusted sea bass with mm. farro. And again, I think that was that was our first foray into farro because quinoa had become ubiquitous, and mm. we're like, let's try a new thing. And and yeah. again, I don't think we saw farro around very much at that yeah. point. Um, so that'll be back on, and uh, I don't remember what else. I can't remember what, <laughs> yeah. what I what I agreed to. What I say yes to on there. it? Yeah. Cool. It'll go out in an email tomorrow. Yeah. And then um, you're also going to be at the San Diego Beer Week closing event. Yeah. At the well, Beer Garden. I'm, there's, I don't do that many events anymore because yeah. um, it's just I don't have enough staff to do so and I'm just so old now. But um, <laughs> I'm doing Celebrate the Craft in a couple weeks That's at the Lodge and then we have the Beer Week closing thing at the Lodge a couple weeks after that, which are really like the – Last couple events we really do both per year the, now, yeah. yeah. And they're both at the both lodge. At the lodge, that's such a beautiful location. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to be there. It's easy to get in, easy to get out, and yeah. it's a uh, and it's a good place to be. So I need fun to, to get do. tickets to that. Yeah, how so, does the how does that celebrate the craft work? We cook food and people eat it. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, I well, mean, <clears throat> it's changing this year. Yeah. Um, this year, instead of it being just individual stations where you're getting a little, you know, couple bite plate, we're doing like five, um, five stations where there's three chefs or more paired to get, like mm-hmm. team together, and we're way behind on figuring out our dish, but um, <laughs> we've got most of it figured out. But um, it's a larger portion. So it's more like a little mini restaurant experience where you're getting like walking around and getting a course. Oh, oh. cool. In whatever order you want, but it's not 20 tastes. That'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll be different. For sure. Um, so you guys can see more information on that at the Lodge Turbines. I think, do they still have tickets? Judy, can you see? Probably. Yeah. So that one's $135. It has, you know, top chefs. It's such a gorgeous location, the Lodge. Um, and then you have to be 21 and older. Because I think they, pay, they have wine and, and beer. Yeah. We got it all, um, and then we have that, like I think Christian Graves is coming back for oh, this from fun. Denver, and Michael Stebner, one of the original chefs from the first event, is coming back for yeah. it. And it's it's kind of like I think for us that are part of it, it's sort of just a pretty close group of friends mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. work friends that you. Yeah. Kinda, it's like a nice. It's rarely do you see all of these people in one place together, yeah. and I've always felt like I don't know if I really belong in this group, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's good to be in the group. Yeah, um, and I think there's growers and everything there too, so you see. Yeah, it used to be each each chef stuff. we were paired with. You know, we got to choose from a list of vendor. Like I've used uh, Liberty Duck from Sonoma, which is a duck farm that I used to buy from in Sonoma. Um, which was cool that I could get their stuff here. We did like duck tongue tostada one year. Whoa. I've done uh, you, so you can pick from a list of who you want to get product from, and they're donating to it. So I was with Catalina Offshore one year and got to do, you know, partner with them on it. Um, and this year we're partnering with uh, Sadiq Farms for our pork dish that we're doing. And mm-hmm. then I think Alesmith is making a cask of a sort of German beer for us. For oh, cool! Our, so they pair it directly yeah. with that course. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so there's that, um, and then there's the San Diego Beer Week closing event, which is, it's $85, it's 14 chefs, 28 breweries, um, 
Yeah, and that's November 12th. Yeah. That's uh, a so, good time of year to be out there, too. That's yeah, a fun one. It's really, that's a really good one as well. Yeah, so go check those out. Um, SanioBeerWeek.org, I think, is where you can buy tickets for that. Um, I like that and the you can date also go to the um, European format. I know, I don't. I did for some reason. <laughs> I handled that part of it. I don't know why it's. I don't know why it's showing from a whole day. Why does it say to the 13th? You'd get really drunk. That would be a long event. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a really long, really long event. You can also see more information at chefcelebration.org um, as well. And so thank you so much for coming yeah, on, Chef. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Appreciate it. Um, you guys can all find more information uh, there at on Facebook at Urban Solace and Solace and Sanitas. So search those in the search bar. Instagram at Urban Solace and at Solace and Sanitas. And also Chef Matt has his own. That's Chef Matt Gordon Woo-hoo. on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and it's also urbansolace.net. I don't know where Judy found that other, <laughs> the Solace, oh, Solace restaurant, restaurant group. Yeah, I <laughs> think we had that. I don't, yeah, I don't even know how to like get into the admin page of that anymore. <laughs> Got to take yeah. it down. Go check that <laughs> out. Um, Go check out the restaurant, guys. North Park and Encinitas, Please. whichever is closest to you. Especially on a weeknight. We could really use, yeah. use, use some, some extra friends on a weeknight. Right. So, you know, it's the off Date season night. right now. So Yeah. Yeah, go out during the week. It's it's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when you try to go Avoid out sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes when you go out to the end of the weekend, you're like, uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> All these people. <laughs> but, yeah, go check it out. Um, thank you for joining us. Yeah, and, my pleasure. Um, Thanks for having thank me. You. Yeah, for sure. We will be. Bye. Ciao. Toodles. Oh, yeah. You guys can also find more information at dinelocalsd.com. Yeah. And cats, dinelocalsd underscore cat. <laughs>